We'll see what happens. We're doing it Alrighty. live. Wanted to do a live show as much as pretty much as close as we get. Okay. <laughs> and change the name of the podcast to Trainwreck. <laughs> hey, I, like man, I like that actually. The Trainwreck podcast. Our representative. Huh? That's right. <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Flurry, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Choo choo! Chicka 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 chicka. It's the Banter Banter train wreck. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today on this train is uh, Mr. Steve Barkley. I'm conductor. And uh, hey, it's Mr. Ryan Flurry. It's the caboose. Oh, <laughs> see your tickets. See your tickets. <laughs> bringing I'm up, bringing up the rear. <laughs> oh, you stole my joke, you bastard. Too slow. I'm too slow. Jobs uh, in the baggage car. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Actually, I have to figure out what. Yeah, what my role on this train is. As long as he's not the cook, because uh, it'd be nothing but pop tarts and hot dogs or something. Oh man, I'm so hungry. I could really go for a pop tart right now. <laughs> I've had a break all day. Okay. Uh, hey, well, um, hey, <laughs> how are you doing? Going, going well already. Uh, did you guys know, well, first of all, did you guys know it was October? Yes. Okay. That was yeah, the easy, rumors to this effect. Yeah. That, that was the easy part of the quiz. Did you also know that October is blindness awareness month? I didn't until you told me just now. No, like. Okay. When October started, when we were talking about planning podcast uh-huh. shows. I, right. Mm-hmm. So it is indeed Blindness Awareness Month. And I bet you all our audience thought we had forgotten. But we have not forgotten. So this is our little Blindness Awareness special episode, we'll just call it. What do you guys think? Catchy? I don't know. It seems lame. Yeah, I think you should wow. rebrand it. Wow. Change the name. Oof. Yeah. Wow, this is a rough. This is a rough. rough <laughs> it's a rough crowd on this train. <laughs> this train's kind of a dick. <laughs> uh, well, you well, know, it takes a certain type of person to travel this way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've never actually traveled on it. Actually, no, I'm not even going to go down that road. You guys are trying to, to derail me. Oh, oh, see what I did there. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> I saw what you did there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's eye-opening. Yeah. Man, he's, he's 40, a little engine that could. <laughs> 45 minutes of puns, everybody. That's what you're in for. <laughs> no, listen, we, uh, we've got some great content. We wanted to talk a little bit about Blindness Awareness Month and why it's important and why blindness awareness in general is important. We've also got uh, Steve and I did a great interview with Dr. Dave Grimes who uh, 
Steve, why don't you give people a little bit of a, a snapshot of, of Dave and, and what he does and, and what we're going to be talking to him about. Well, Dave, Dave is one of the two optometrists in our Children's Low Vision Project team uh, in, uh, in British Columbia. Uh, he shares a duty with uh, Louise Mishek from uh, Tut Street uh, Optical in Kelowna because, uh, of course, the CLVP project started uh, in the Kelowna School District. Uh, so, but, uh, but Dave also, in addition to doing the CLVP stuff, does, uh, international outreach with, uh, some different, uh, some different outfits. So, uh, we're going to have him in to talk about the, uh, the outreach that he does, uh, with them. Yeah, this is such cool work too, because, and honestly, out of that, out of both, um, a lot of the reading that I've been doing about Blindness Awareness Month, as well as that interview, it's really kind of. I'm going to do it again, opened my eyes um, <laughs> to the, the bigger picture and what, what a lot of blindness advocacy looks like in developing countries and what the, what the needs are there. Uh, so yeah, so I'm anxious to, to talk a little bit about that too. So buckle up, people. We've got a, we've got a pretty good show for you. Uh, we've got some surprises along the way. So uh, you guys ready to, to get get this uh engine on the track let's fire up those engines <laughs> okay choo -choo. all right well hey let's start out by talking a little bit about the history of blindness awareness month so did you guys know that blindness awareness month was launched in october of 2009 uh, by the little rock foundation which was an organization in new jersey of all places that was dedicated to serving families with blind or visually impaired children. So when they started up, they, they really wanted to accomplish a few things. They wanted to educate. So they wanted to really spread the word about good eye health and the latest research and innovations in the treatment of a lot of eye disorders. They wanted to inspire people with stories about people who are blind or visually impaired. And they wanted to advocate, of course, which is, you know, garner support for resources and research and access and laws that enable people with visual impairments to live fully productive lives and contribute to their communities. So it's a relatively new thing. Like 2009, that actually kind of shocked me. Even, even the fact that, you know, that I only really learned about it a few years ago. Um, but really, I thought it had been, it's been around for longer than that. But yeah, so just 2009. Yeah, I would have thought it have, would have gone back much further than that. Well, you know, we only really started getting into making a month for everything and <laughs> for everything and a week for everything in the last couple of decades. You know, before that, it, it was true. like, you know, we were pretty yeah. chill on most things. But no, now, now everything's got to be dedicated to something. Everybody's well, so sensitive. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying everybody sensitive. I'm just saying that everybody's now running and scrambling to grab months, weeks, days. Yeah. Like, oh my God, we've well, got to have a, a sepia color awareness day. <laughs> when, when can we possibly do that? Well, we can't do it on yellow awareness day. Oh. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, it's that's you bring up an interesting point, and I've said this is that there's there's such a thing as too much noise and mm. i feel like these these really important months and days or weeks um, like there. blindness awareness month yeah they get lost in the shuffle because when you have a bunch of stupid ones like talk like a pirate day 
or, <laughs> you know, peanut butter sandwich day. Whoa, 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 which, whoa, whoa. Hold, hold on. Are, are you dissing my pirate friend? No, I know. I know. It's important day for you. <laughs> I, I was the only thing I could come up with off the top of my head. But there's literally like there's stuff like, you know, eat a steak day and like cheeseburger day. And like, mm-hmm. so there is way too many of these things. I've said it before here on the show. I don't know who's in charge of like creating these days, but they need to like just ease off because every single thing doesn't need a day. Like it would be nice if we could put the emphasis where it needs to be. And I really do feel like Blindness Awareness Month, this is something that we need. We, we really do need it. I really think that it's a, it's a good space to, to, um, to celebrate people's stories about what it's like to be to be blind because i think that that's that education piece that we're always sort of striving for in terms of letting people know that this is this is the the, what the lived experience of somebody who is blind is like and it's really not all that different uh from from anybody else uh they you know just doing things in a different way so yes all right all right so i've i've pulled up a list of months and 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 you know what else month it is this month? Halloween. No, no, month. <laughs> month? Month, month, month long right. celebrations that have been declared for October. All right. It is National Pizza Month. Excellent. Rob can get behind that, I'm sure. Really? National Learning and Development Month. Sure, that, that fits. Jeez. National Liver Awareness Month. How did they get a whole month? I don't know. AIDS Awareness Month. National Non-GMO Month. National Pasta Month, National Pescatarian Month, National Physical Therapy Month, National Pickled Peppers Month, Adopt a Shelter Dog Month, National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, National Pretzel Month, National Protect Your Hearing Month, National Sausage Month, National Spinal Bifida Awareness Month, Polish Heritage Heri- P- Polish American Heritage Month, Rhett Syndrome Awareness Month, Vegetarian Month, World Menopause Month, National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, National Ergonomics Month, National Medical Libraries Month, National Desert Month, uh, Contact Lens Safety Month, Global Diversity Awareness Month, German American Heritage Month, National Depression Education and Awareness Month, Fair Trade Month, Emotional Wellness Month, Eat Better Eat Together Month, Down Syndrome Awareness Month, Church Library Month, ha- Halloween Safety Month, Celebrating the Bilingual Child Month, Caffeine Addiction Recovery Month, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Blindness Awareness Month, Bad Appreciation Month, Wow. American Pharmacist Month, American Cheese Month, Go uh, Sober for October, October, Financial Planning Month, Health, Liter- <laughs> Health Literacy Month, National Caramel Month, National Dental Hygiene Month, National o- Cybersecurity Awareness Month. That's got to be recent. Uh, Healthy Lung Month, National Cookie Month, National Chiropractic Month, National Chili Month, National Crime Prevention Month, National Bullying Prevention Month, National Apple Month, National ADHD Awareness Month, LGBTQ History Month, Italian American Heritage Month, Italian American Heritage and Culture Month, Italian Walk to School Month, and National Book Month. Unbelievable. That's wow. just this month. It's wow. a busy month. That's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. You're not even kidding, are you? Yeah. No, I'm not. No, those are all those are all things. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a problem. This is Yes. Yeah. It, it's getting crowded out there. It, yeah, it is. We so, gotta we gotta fight for our space, folks. Yeah. We gotta get this National Blindness Awareness Month some some purchase some traction that's right exactly well, july is a, next july is at banter month oh yeah at so banter it, podcast month put it in there you put go. it in the you can't yeah. be worse than you national can't, they can't liver, stop us exactly national liver appreciation month just gotta find out who to submit it to 
Well, yeah, exactly. We'll, like just, that's... we'll just declare it. Say what everybody <laughs> else did. Clearly, yeah. You just need it on one website, and then it just spreads. All right. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, I hear people can get a hold of us through a phone number. Is that true? That is true. Uh, would you the... like to know the number? I would love to know the number so I could phone you and tell you you're a jerk. All righty, then. They can reach us toll-free at 1-844-996-4282. Joining us now is Dr. David Grimes. So, Dave, uh, how about you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Sure. Uh, well, my name is Dave Grimes. I'm an optometrist here in Kelowna. I work out of the uh, Touch Street Optometry Clinic. It's a group practice here, and I've been here for, I guess, 25, 26 years. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, a busy practice and a challenge with COVID. But uh, on top of that, I am a part of the Children's Low Vision project team which uh, Steve is also a member of and yep. uh, so we travel the province and check all the uh, great little kids around the province that are in the school system and uh, and that's my thing so yeah and so how long have you been involved with the uh, the children's low vision project well it's probably been about 10 years now I would think so around that time Steve I think I think uh, Louise Mishak, who's also in our practice, she's the she was the original and still is uh, the optometrist in the group. And it's nice having a second optometrist. So we kind of split the projects. We do six projects a year usually. And so Louise will do three of them and I'll do three. And so she was looking for someone to help her. Um, uh, and about 10 years ago, I, I kind of heard about the project and it kind of interested me because um, it just seems like a great thing to be able to travel the province and work as a, in a collaborative effort with other specialists like vision teachers and technology specialists and orientation and mobility specialists and ophthalmologists that all have a, uh, an interest in helping kids. So I jumped at the chance and, uh, and here we are 10 years later. So. Indeed. And unlike a certain ophthalmologist on our team, you're not just in it for the snacks. <laughs> uh, no, but that's a good side benefit, especially when you're on the trip, because uh, you always are the, the main host for, for all that stuff. So and very much appreciated. Yes. So so let me open this up. And, and actually, either you guys can can actually take this because you're both involved. But can you give us a, like a little bit of an overview of just um, what the what the um, Children's Low Vision Project is and how it all works for those people who, who may not know anything about it? Uh, so with Children's Low Vision Project, it was uh, Ministry of Education uh, sponsors us. And it was actually the brainchild of Lynn Plangeal, who's uh, an amazing low vision teacher in the province, uh, or sorry, children's uh, vision teacher in the province that I'm sure you guys all know, Lynn. But uh, so she had seen a project in the States that was uh, doing something similar and she brought it to Canada and put the team together and put the funding together. So we do six projects a year in different districts around the province. And we assess as many of the kids in those areas who have vision challenges as possible. And so we'll go up there for two or three days and then we'll, um, it's kind of a one-stop shop for the families. When they come in, they can see all of us in one afternoon. And so uh, they get to have their vision assessed. They get to do a orientation and mobility session outside uh, where they're preventing usually. And we'll have, we have someone that uh, shows them low-tech devices like handheld magnifiers 
and uh, also Steve who comes and shows them all the, uh, Steve is the popular one because he's got all the cool gadgets uh, with the high tech stuff. And then we have a pediatric ophthalmologist that assesses them as well. And so, and then at the end of the session, they all, we all sit around in a circle and the parents and the kids have a chance to ask questions and have hopefully their questions answered. And so it's a very efficient way for them to see everybody in one day. And it's, uh, it's great. I just love it. So. Yeah, and it's it's fantastic because for a lot of the the parents, it's the first opportunity that they've really ever gotten to sit down and and have a good long conversation with with an optometrist and an ophthalmologist. Because you guys you guys run pretty busy schedules on your day to day work days. Like how many how many patients would you see in a day, Dave? Well, we're not like the ophthalmologist, but like today I saw sixteen patients. So typically we're seeing 15, 16, 17, 18 patients a day. And so the ophthalmologists are seeing probably 50 a day. And so they have almost no time to answer questions. So when they come in to the low vision clinics with us, I mean, we'll, we'll see probably six or seven or eight patients and they'll be there for three or four hours and they have lots of time to answer questions. And so, especially when we go up north, I find those projects really rewarding because those families don't have the same access to services or it takes a lot for them to travel to Vancouver to see the specialists. So. So when we t- can take those projects to the Kootenays and up north and some of those more remote towns, it's really, I really find it good. So. But, of course, the reason that I wanted to have you on was because in addition to doing all this, you also do uh, international outreach as well. And I was uh, hoping you could tell us about the international outreach, the organization, and what all you do with them. Yeah, it's funny how these things kind of blend together after a while, like... Like when I was in university, I mean, this is probably not going to be a big surprise, but when we did our low vision training in university, it was fairly basic and it wasn't very popular. We called it slow vision instead of low vision because a patient would come in, they were referred to the university, they were usually end stage vision problems, and we didn't really know as students exactly what we were doing, that's for sure. And the assessments would honestly take three hours and the patients were exhausted and often they knew more about these devices than what we did because we were just learning ourselves. And so it was, it was a pretty painful process. So I got out of school thinking, I'll never do low vision. Like, that's just not my thing. And But then you get these opportunities that come up. And I was always taught, my, you know, my father kind of drilled into me that if an opportunity comes up in life, no matter what it is, unless you have some sort of a clear inkling that it's not for you, you should probably take the opportunity and go with it and see uh, where it leads, because you never know where these things lead. So, so when I was in practice for a little while, and this opportunity came up with Children's Low Vision Project, uh, I kind of jumped at it because I thought, okay, let's try it. Uh, and this was probably about 10 years ago. And around the same time, I started doing projects overseas because I had a phone call one day from an ophthalmologist in Vernon, uh, Matthias Flens, and he was going to Burma at the time, Myanmar, back in, I think it was 2013. And he said, we really need an optometrist. I think you should come. And I'd never been outside of North America before. And I thought, why not? Let's do it. So, so I went on my first project in 2013. And this was with a group called Medical Ministry International. And uh, a great organization out of Hamilton. Uh, they've been doing eye care projects and health projects and dental projects for 50 years now. They just had their 50th anniversary. And a great organization. And so... Since then, I've done, uh, I think I've been on 11 projects now, eight different countries. And uh, so normally when we go on a project like that, we'll see as many people as we can. And we go for a two-week stint. 
and we have optometry services so we can give out glasses uh reading glasses sunglasses prescription glasses but we also have ophthalmologists there that can do surgery if they need cataract surgery strabismus surgery uh those sort of things and so for the first four or five projects that i did that's what i was doing is assessing writing prescriptions and then we find a when i write a prescription in those countries uh we type it in the computer and the computer will match up because we bring donated glasses with us that uh, patients have been so generous to allow us to take over and so we have thousands of pairs of glasses with us and the computer program will match the closest prescription to what they need and so uh, and often if you take enough pairs of glasses you can find a pretty close match that's pretty exciting so so usually it's glasses but i think in 2016 at a low vision at one of the children's low vision projects lynn langeo heard that i was going to columbia and she said hey why don't you take along some of our magnifiers that some of the used stuff that we have kicking around the office that we can't use anymore so you know handheld magnifiers that are a bit the lenses are scratched or you know pop-up telescopes that the springs are broken so she said i i can't really use those so do you think you can take them with you and and that's how the assessment started so they had never done a low vision program in 50 years in those projects and so i contacted the organizer and said i have all these devices do you think i'd have time or do you think we should do it and he said hey let's bring them and give them a try so so that's how it started and uh so it was interesting. I thought it was only going to be like a half a dozen devices that Lynn would have, but I ended up with this big bag full of magnifiers. And I, uh, you know, I was a little bit reluctant because I didn't think I'd have enough room in my suitcase because we have very limited room to take uh, these devices or because we take glasses with us and my personal effects and my equipment for examining. But But I had this big bag of magnifiers that I decided at the last minute, okay, I'll take them. And uh, so I get to the Columbia airport in Bogota. And I don't know if you've ever watched Border Patrol, but I had <laughs> watched some Border Patrol episodes, I guess, before I left. And so uh, so with the Border Patrol, they're always catching people, smuggling things into the country and in and out of Colombia. So, so I get to the line to get into the country and my son is with me on this trip and they just let him go through they looked through his bag and it was all fine they open up my bag and there's probably you know 80 magnifier devices just sitting there and i'd wrap them up perfectly and some of them were in the original boxes so they looked really valuable and and so all of a sudden they're shuddering bring me into a, a holding room and they're grilling me on all these devices they thought i was smuggling something into the country i guess and so I thought, okay, this is this is going to be interesting, and they were photocopying my documents, and I uh, kept saying, you know, I I didn't understand Spanish, uh, and they didn't know English, so they were kept asking me, I think, what the value of all these devices were, what I was going to do with them. They thought I was going to sell them, and so we were there for half an hour, forty-five minutes, and time's ticking. I'm trying to catch my connecting flight. My son's out there. And I'm thinking, okay, this is it. I'm going to be in a Colombian jail for the rest of my life. Or I'm going to be waterboarded here. So, but eventually, because of the language barrier, they just let me through. And so I finally got through and made my connection. And I'm sure glad we did because that first day in clinic in Colombia, patient after patient coming through who glasses were no longer able to help them. They didn't work for surgery. So we had these devices that 
all of a sudden we could offer them something that uh, they had no access. There's no way anywhere in that remote area of Columbia that we were working that they would have had a chance to get anything like that. So it was pretty, pretty awesome. So, and since then I've been taking devices with me on every project I've gone to. And so uh, if I can scrounge up some uh, used some broken things or uh, I'm always canvassing, trying to get people to give me some devices that uh, might help these people. So, and it's been, it's been working great. It's such important work too, because it's something that I, I think that, you know, being in, in, in a first world country, we forget, but in a lot of these developing nations, yeah, like, like access to, to any sort of um, eye professional is probably next to impossible um, to get. So are there a lot of organizations out there that are like this? Um, or is there still like a real need to really, you know, get into some of these countries and, and actually sort of disseminate some of this um, technology? Oh boy, it's, uh, there's, there's a big need. Uh, I was reading a UN report, and you guys have probably read it too, but they were saying that there's a billion people on, on Earth, a billion people that don't have access to a simple pair of glasses and simple devices to help them see. And so uh, it's a huge need. And uh, when you go to these countries, most of the bigger cities and the capitals are pretty well covered. Um, they have access to care if people need it. I mean, it's expensive, but uh, it, it's there. But when, as soon as you get out of the main cities, into the little villages, which is where we tend to go. Uh, there's nothing, absolutely nothing. And so uh, I've done an, another group I've gone with, it's called uh, VOSH, which is Volunteers Optometric Services Humanity. And that's, uh, they just provide optometric care. They don't do any surgery on those trips, but, uh, and that's organized through the optometry school. So when I go with that group, I'm kind of a supervisor of the students. So third and fourth year optometry students go on those trips, but that's basically just glasses as well. So. It's pretty, I've never seen low vision services offered on any of these projects ever. Um, and I remember that first Columbia trip, I remember Steve, I think it was Steve gave me a, a video magnifier, handheld video magnifier to take with me that was kind of obsolete and he couldn't use it anymore. Yep. And it was kind of bulky. And I remember the second day we were at clinic, this lady came in, she had star guards. Her name was Pastora Annie. She was a pastor from the local church and she was about 50. And she had star guards. And so she had heard we were coming and had stood in line all day, hoping there was some sort of a kind of a miracle thing that we could offer. So she ended up with Joel Fan Martino, the retinal specialist on the trip. And he examined her and determined it was star guards and told her, there's nothing we can do for you. Like, it's just not, there's nothing. And then at the last second, he said, oh, wait a second. I think Dave brought some magnifiers. So go see the low vision team. And so... <laughs> He wrote me a note. It's like a two-word referral. It said, good luck. And he sent, sent her over to me. <laughs> and I remember sitting down with her and I, looking through all the devices and this video magnifier just popped out at me and it was the only one we had. And uh, I showed it to her because all she wanted was to be able to read her Bible again because she was, you know, that's her thing as a pastor of the church. And so she, we turned it on and we showed her how to fiddle with it. And, and then she started reading from, I think it was from the Psalms. And I think by the third verse, everybody in the room was crying because she was just overwhelmed that she could do it again. So, so it's, um, it's a pretty powerful thing when you get to see some life changing. And I guess you guys see it every day with the type of work you're doing, but uh, to see it in that setting where there's just nothing available and all of a sudden, you know, this device shows up. Uh, it's just, 
it's like people can't believe and they can't believe that it's free and they can take it and it's theirs and it's been donated by some good Samaritan back home and so it's it's just a very life-changing for them but also a very powerful moment for us that are able to go and experience that so so I'd say anybody that wants to come on a trip like that I mean do it or if anybody's listening and they have any kind of devices that they want to kind of donate that way just you know contact any of us and you'd be happy to take them off your hands that's for sure yeah. Yeah, and, and certainly any anybody who's listening, if you've got a drawer full of old magnifiers or uh, old old glasses, uh, old video magnifiers that you might not be using anymore, um, I will happily gather them and uh, and get them up to Dave if you can get them to me. So, uh, or of course we will uh, leave uh, contact information for you as well, Dave, in the show notes, and people can uh, can hopefully uh, get you some gear that you can take with you for your next trip. Yeah, I appreciate that. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Where Where is your next trip? Well, it's up in the air because of COVID. Uh, of course, I really, yeah. I COVID. I really hate COVID. <laughs> uh, we're supposed to do a trip in the winter. Uh, we'll see if it happens. There's a chance it'll either be Colombia in January, uh, Bolivia in February, or possibly Rwanda in May. And so I usually do one or two trips a year. Um, but I'm not sure. We'll see. We're trying to figure out the logistics of crowd control because our team will be vaccinated if we go, but most of the people in those countries probably aren't vaccinated and we don't want them, you know, when we show up, there's a lineup of, you know, 500 or 1,000 people waiting to see us and wow. we don't want them lining up, spreading COVID amongst themselves if they're not vaccinated. So, wow. so we're trying to figure out crowd control and all those things. So, but it looks like there could be a project in the winter somewhere probably south america somewhere i think i'm hoping we'll see but you know it's such an important um project as well and it seems to me that that we really it what really needs to happen is some sort of a like sort of a central organization where because it seems to me that there's so many um obsolete technology here like we're constantly and steve i you know i'm sure you see this all the time um you know technology that goes obsolete because of whatever operating systems or uh it, they're just not compatible with the latest software or it, it, whatever it, it, the new generation makes the old generation obsolete so there's we have all of this old technology floating around that to us is is junk or it's a paperweight but to somebody in a developing nation it can be life-changing and so you know, it seems to me that the real challenge here is to to gather up as much of this this old obsolete or technology that we consider obsolete, uh, get it together, and then get it to some some people who really need it. That's exactly it. Like it's um, that's <laughs> that's why I agreed to uh, come on the show today because uh, to get the word out is is everything. Because who knows what connections happen when that happens. So, yeah. and sometimes it's very simple. Like I've seen. An accountant, like in Bolivia, last time we were there, and he, I think he had um, coloboma, retinal colobomas or something. And so, even as simple, we had a little, they're basically like a high plus lens, and it was just a little pocket thing. And all of a sudden, he could do his work again. And it was, you know, a two dollar, probably piece of equipment. It was nothing. And so, or for him, he couldn't believe it. His eyes were watering, and he was smiling. And it's it's just amazing. Uh, something simple, or some of these obsolete devices i mean yeah they can be put to good use for sure yeah and i haven't even hadn't even thought about like the idea of like giving you know an old prescription of, of glasses 
um, you know, donating those, like I hadn't even considered that. So that's, that's really amazing too. The idea that that prescription may not work for you anymore, but, uh, it certainly could help somebody else out, uh, in a big way. Dave, is there, is there anything else that you want to talk about in terms of the, the, the projects or, um, any, anything you want to plug? We're always looking for more optometrists on these trips. Uh, we're low and we're always looking for nurses. Um, we're usually pretty good with ophthalmology, actually. They tend to have quite a few ophthalmologists that sign up, but we're always short on nurses and optometrists. Uh, we also take a lot of general helpers. Like uh, half of our team usually would be general volunteers who have no eye background or training. They are some sometimes are teenage kids and right up to retired people. We've had people in their 80s come on projects with us. And so, uh, so if anybody is interested in traveling, uh, if they're flexible and like helping people. I mean, it's a great way to see the world and to like, it's not fancy. <laughs> we go to pretty, some pretty rough areas. Uh, usually when I, when a patient finds out that I'm leaving on a project, they'll say, so like, I hear you're going on a vacation. And then said, well, sort of, it's kind of like a working vacation and say, well, what do you mean? And then said, well, we're taking a team of, we're going to do eye exams, say in Ecuador for the next two weeks. And Wow, that's uh, pretty good. Is it going to be busy? And said, "Yeah, we'll probably see three or four thousand people." And like, really? Sounds pretty tough. Is the food okay? And like, well, I'm not sure. And they say, "How's the accommodation going to be?" And, well, could be a little rough, but I don't know really. And and they're like, "Do you ever get sick?" And I'm like, "Well, I might get diarrhea for a couple of days or so." But <laughs> <laughs> and they all say, "So you must get paid for this?" And said, "No, it's actually volunteer, and we uh, end up having to pay our accommodation or our travel expenses." And they said, "Well." really that sounds crazy so so <laughs> it doesn't sound overly attractive but it's amazing it's the best thing i've done uh by far in terms of my career uh you just really get to do your part i mean if you have a skill set and you like helping people uh i think it's the best way to live your life and to uh, like i've taken my kids on projects with me and it's kind of been a life-changing experience for them so they're hooked uh, i think Honestly, if you have any uh, sense in your heart that you want to help people, it's, it's a great thing to do. And so, uh, I've, like I say, the organizations I've been involved with, there's Bosch, there's Medical Ministry International, which I've done a lot of projects with. Uh, there's another group out of BC called the Third World Eye Care Society, which uh, goes on projects. I'm not, not sure if they've done much in the last couple of years with COVID, but that's, uh, there's groups that... Um, take teams all over the world. We just actually bought a boat, our group uh, from MMI, we just bought a boat for the Amazon. And so uh, we're taking a houseboat and retrofitting it and taking it up the Amazon river to reach some of these remote villages. And so uh, so the other thing is, if you can't make a trip, you can make a donation. And so uh, it's all charitable, uh, tax deductible donations. Uh, MMI.org is my big plug, I guess. So well, thanks for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for coming on. We we appreciate uh, you, you you joining us, and uh, definitely all the all the work you're doing for sure. Absolutely, oh, no problem. And we'll see if we can get you some free gear. Yes, <laughs> sounds good. Or an AT banter T-shirt. <laughs> we'll get you a cowbell. Do you have any swag? <laughs> yeah, I'll send you a cowbell. We have we have uh, cowbells. I told my kids I'm going to be on a podcast. It's like the Joe Rogan kind of podcast in vision care. I I, I all of a sudden have some street credit with my kids now. Excellent. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. Take care. Bye.
Oh man, yeah, that was such a great interview. Um, I'm so jazzed about that organization. Like, I I really feel like I've learned a lot about um, just what the what the landscape of of vision health looks like out there in the rest of the world. I mean, I feel like we really take it for granted the quality of care that we we have here in North America. Uh, you really forget that there's a whole other world out there that's just living a completely different life. Yep. Not not everywhere has socialized medicine, yeah, like like us in Canada. Uh, you know, even even in the states, people people have to make a choice in the states whether or not they're going to you know take take care of their eye health or not. You know, because they might have to pay yeah. for things like food and rent. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I I find that horrifying in a in a developed country. But um, uh, yeah, in, in the third world, people can live miles away from the nearest uh, available. Uh, eye doctor and uh, you know may never get there in their entire lives yeah exactly they just might not ever travel that far from home yeah so I mean listen I would I would recommend everybody out there uh, checking out his organization if if you have some old obsolete hardware that's just sitting around think about donating it Uh, old prescriptions of eyeglasses that are no use to you anymore Think about donating them. Uh, they could really, really go far and, and really mean a lot to somebody out there in the world that isn't as lucky as we are. Because for all the yep. problems that we have, eh, we get it pretty good. Yep. And I'm going to uh, I'm gonna up the ante here. For, for anybody in Canada, if you have something that you would like to donate to, uh, to David's projects, um, you can give me a call at Canadian Assistive Technologies and I will dispatch a courier to pick those items up from you. You don't even have to pay to ship them. Well, fellas, you got anything else for our big uh, Blindness Awareness Month extravaganza show? I think I should, does, it, does it help, Ryan, if I add the extravaganza? Do you like it better, the title better? No. Okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll work on that. We'll workshop that. All right. Well, in that case, uh, hey, Ryan... Rob, where can people find us? Atbanter.com. They can banter, banter. They can also drop us an email uh, if they so desire at cowbell at uh, atbanter.com. But even better if they left us a phone message with, at, at our number, which is one eight four four nine nine six four two eight two. Leave us your name, your message, and if you give us your permission, we may play it on an upcoming episode. And where the hell else can they find us, uh, Steve? Well, they can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, and we are on Instagram. But before we get too far on that, I would like to apologize to people who we may have stepped on today, because today was, in fact... National Brandied Fruit Day, World Osteoporosis Day, <laughs> Valmiki J. Hanty, whatever that is. Support your local Chamber of Commerce, National Medical Assistance Day, National Day of Writing, Miss America Rose Day, International Sloth Day, International Chefs Day, Information Overload Day, Hagfish Day, and Days of Unity. So to particularly all the people who uh, got hit with, you know, informational overload today, <laughs> Me. it was your day. Yeah, it was your day. Wow. International Sloth Day. That's cool. Yeah. Can't believe I missed that. Well, and it just happens to match up with International Chef's Day. So, you know, let's just be slothful and get some chef to cook something for us. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. While being aware of blindness. And have a dessert with brandy fruit. <laughs> <laughs>
Man, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Who benefits from a brandied fruit day? Everybody benefits from a brandied fruit day. I guess Don't so. be ridiculous. <laughs> Man, I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> Man, all the I'm telling you, we you should just better be thankful that tomorrow is Count Your Buttons Day. <laughs> oh, Jesus! <laughs> I, really? Also, the International Day of the Nacho. I could go on all day. Really? There's more. There's an International Day of the Nacho. Oh, well, tomorrow. I mean, every day has got some day. In addition, you know, I read off the months before, but every day has got some day. So, wow, like tomorrow, Spirit Day, Police Commemoration Day, National Reptile Day, National Get Smart About Credit Day, National Reptile Awareness Day, National Pumpkin Cheesecake Day, National Pets Whoa, for Veterans Day, Count Your Buttons Day, National Check Your Meds Day, International Shakeout Day, International Day of the Nacho, International Credit Union Day. Conflict Resolution Day, Celebration of the Mind Day, Back to Future Day, and National Apple Day. Well, I thought all the ones you read previously were the ones in the month of October. No. There's more. Those were just for the 20th. Really? The ones I just read now were for the 21st. Holy cow. On the 22nd, it's National Nut Day, Smartest Cool Day, International (laughs) Caps Lock Day, National Color Day, and International Stutter Awareness Day. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What have we done? That's crazy. That is just crazy. I don't know. Society's Maybe. doomed. Yeah, we're screwed. <laughs> we're screwed. Not one right, day. Right, we should sign off before I start global more days. <laughs> oh Save gosh. it for November. <laughs> Maybe we can fit in AT Banter Day in there somewhere. We'll see who. We're can getting one in there. It's going to be July. Banter. It's going to be our anniversary. Oh, there you go. That's romantic. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Well, we'll get. Out. We'll see if we can get a hold of somebody. Maybe everybody call in, and we we'll start up a pamphlet campaign. An email campaign, email your Hashtag M- MP, AT Banter Day, your MLA. Hashtag stop the days. <laughs> we'll start a Patreon and a GoFundMe, and we will. Whoa, slow the train down, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of here, boys. Okay. Alrighty. Well, thanks everybody for listening in, and we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 